The Youthscape Podcast. It is the beginning of a new term. Right. I, I feel like uh, there should be... Is there like a piece of music or something? Is there a song that we should sing? Because there's schools out yes. at the end of term. Yeah. There isn't like a schools in song. There isn't. All I can think of is... I think that was so badly disguised, or so well disguised, that there's no chance of any copyright infringement going on there. In fact, that, that yeah. was in no way the thing from Rocky. <laughs> no way tuneful wow. or anything you can see what happened I don't know what happened there well anyway it's the start of a new term yes. Saved by the Bell do you remember Saved by oh, the Bell oh yes yeah, okay. that, that, imagine that music is playing imagine we had the rights to play that music anything fresh anything yeah. kind of like yeah. positive upbeat hey it's the start of a new term yay come on kids hooray new screen from crisp white pages and books yeah oh I used to love that well done you're youth workers so you won't be running groups this week they'll start next Woo-hoo! week take a week off <laughs> yeah, at exactly. the start just to get, just to get going uh, but you are back in the saddle and you are listening to the Youthscape podcast. I wonder where you listen to the Youthscape podcast. Are you are you running, mm-hmm. perhaps? Many many people run. Mm. I don't. Uh, you might be sitting. Yes, yeah, absolutely. There's other positions you can take as well. You could be Don't start stand- that again. No, 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 I don't. No, I didn't mean that. I'm so sorry. It's too early in the academic year to be talking about sex. Um, and maybe in a coffee shop. Yes, you might be in a coffee maybe shop. Maybe in a little pokey office yes. with your little laptop. Yes. Whichever of those you are, yeah. let us know where you listen yes. to Youthscape podcast. We'd love that. There's a, there's a, there's a, you could tweet us yes. at Youthscape. Uh, and we, we've, I've started to institute a hashtag now, which I see has been to wildly, institute a hashtag. wildly popular, <laughs> which is uh, hashtag Youthscape podcast. Oh, so cutting um, edge. You see what I've done there. And, uh, and also, uh, we're going to start saying hello to people. <gasps> Who are we saying hello to first? Well, our first hello... Is to, is to our iTunes reviewer. Oh, so we've had I an iTunes him. review, He's a good man. which is very exciting. And so Ollie Deeks. Ollie Deeks! I so love Ollie Deeks! Hello to Ollie Deeks. Hello, Ollie Deeks. Do you Deeks. know Ollie Deeks? I do know Ollie oh, Deeks. Great. He's not like a member of your family or something. No, he's not. Oh, he's a, well, he is. He's a youth worker. That makes oh, him officially a member of my family. He's a great youth worker. I met him in France years ago at Le Pas yeah. Spring Harvest France. He was a volunteer there for a year in a gap year. And then he's done some youth work training. I think he's recently married. Are you recently married, Ollie? And uh, it's a phenomenal youth worker. So yeah. hello to Ollie Deeds. Yeah. I also want to start saying hello to uh, Professor Len Kegler uh, at Nyack University in New York, really? who has let us know that he is an avid <gasps> podcast listener. Oh, I thought you were making somebody up. No. I'm so sorry, Professor. I thought Martin was doing one of his made-up things and pretending no, no. he has friends. Oh, well, Professor, so, so you Len, are so Professor lucky. Len Kegler, who got in touch to say he Aww. listens every time, I think in the car, Interestingly oh. enough, and uh, and he uh, he loves it. He said, which you would say, but well, but he did say. I think it. we should go to New York and do a special. That's a great idea, <laughs> Len. If you can get the Nyack yeah. uh, <laughs> academic board to fly uh, Rachel and I out, we would love to do a New York and Rachel and, Rachel and producer Rachel. Rachel. Yeah. Uh, we we'd love to come and well, do we a New York love special. That you listen. And uh, and I think also just uh, I've extended this point further than I thought I would. Uh, I think it'd be great if you could get this on the syllabus. So, so if you get listening to so, the Youthscape podcast on the syllabus at night, that'd be so great. So we, we like to be not demanding at all. We are we have no overinflated egos or sense of our own self. No, no, not at all. Not at all. So, uh, Ollie, you are welcome. Um, 
Brilliant. I've just had the little hand wave from ah. Producer Rachel. Producer so Rachel move says move on. on. Move on, Martin. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I was going to set the scene for today's interview. Brilliant, do it. And uh, I'm going to do that by explaining what happens on a Monday morning here at Youthscape. Mm-hmm. So uh, you may know this because we live streamed a few of them uh, last year. Uh, but we start every week as a team with a chapel together. So we have a half hour time of sort of prayer and reflection and focusing on our work and connecting with God and with each other. And then we have... Uh, we have a bit of food together, we have breakfast together, and then we have our, our sort of team meeting. And about once a term, we bring in a special guest mm. to come and just, we do a little interview from the front, and uh, and we talk about youth ministry, and it's just a little investment in our team. And uh, and we've had some brilliant people do it so far. And the second of those people um, was uh, Dr. Nick Shepherd. Oh, it's all about the doctors and professors today. Dr. Nick Dr. Shepherd. Dr. Ollie Deeks, Dr. Nick Shepherd. Love it. Uh, Dr. Nick Shepherd, who who uh, is the author of the book uh, Faith Generation, mm-hmm. and also uh, has held, held many roles in, in youth ministry, which he talks about. Uh, and so this is uh, yep. as this week's interview, we're going to play uh, a, the recording essentially. So you can from, hear lots of the the teams. You might have the team stuff and yeah, yeah. Uh, in the background. But this is coming to you from the Youthscape offices on Monday morning. Uh, Dr. Nick Shepherd, live and unplugged. So, uh, no, and so we're very, uh, very excited this morning to have Dr. Nick Shepherd with us um, this morning. Now, I didn't intro you properly. I didn't want to distract people with, oh, that's fine. with exciting news of all that you've done and accomplished in your short time on Earth. But uh, you are a former YFC Centre Director Correct. in Greenwich. Twice over, Bath and Greenwich. Bath and Greenwich. Uh, and also formerly were head of uh, CYM, Correct. Um, which is now the Institute of Children's News and Mission, which you changed it to. I changed it to that, yeah, Institute for Children's Mission. But, um, but it was Centre for Children's for, for a long time. So there'll be people in the room, I think, who've, who've been through CYM. Um, is that right? No, it's no, a right. joke. That's a joke. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it was not being recorded. It's not being recorded by me. It's all being recorded. So, uh, a joke. Uh, uh, <laughs> So um, anyway, uh, and now working in the uh, Anglican Diocese of Southwark yeah. as head of training. Well, it's, it's the title is a very long one. Assistant Director of the Discipleship Ministry brackets leadership and learning close brackets, which is training. Right. <laughs> of a sort. You are also the author of Faith Generation, which uh, we've just begun to sell right. on yes. the Youthscape store. Did you know that? I, I didn't know that. This isn't like a sales no. thing. No. You didn't know we were doing that. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a yeah. minute. Um, so just do a little potted history of your kind of youth work time. So you were involved in those kind of, in CYM later on, but before sure. then, lots of actual youth work. I did. So yeah, tell actual tell us about that. So I started uh, with Youth for Christ in 1991. Some of you weren't born. <laughs> many of them. Um, and that was originally in, uh, in, in, in Bath or Bath. I'm originally from the north, and so I'll, both um, pronunciations will come through at some point. Uh, but I joined Youth for Christ after I left university, because um, I didn't really know what to do with my life, um, and um, ended up uh, staying and working there. I really fell in love with what youth work and youth ministry uh, is. Um, and uh, then in 97, moved to London, I got married, moved to London. Uh, my wife Bridget was also working for Youth for Christ at the time. Um, and uh, we went to work in Greenwich, uh, in southeast London, um, and we're in Greenwich uh, working with Youth for Christ and, and different churches, uh, until the early 2000s, um, and then I uh, stopped working in Youth for Christ when I did a PhD at King's College London, which is the only place anyone should ever think about going to do a PhD, really, I think, for you. Um, and I did that, I did that over uh, eight years, which is slightly longer than Phoebe's going to take, I promise you that. I did it over eight years, um, but I 
I had a real privilege of being able to split that time with staying at home and looking after my kids, which was actually just a real gift that I, I got to boss about doing a PhD and go to a playgroup in the league singing corner. Um, and that was, that, was, that, was, that was great fun. Um, so I did that kind of part-time. I did a bit of lecturing at King's College London. Um, and then after that, I joined CYM, uh, uh, which was the Centre for Youth Ministry. Um, and, I, and I joined it at a time when everything in youth work change, uh, training was, was, was changing and still is changing quite dramatically. But I did that for seven years or so. Um, and passionately believe in, in, in uh, youth work training, which is interesting because I was in a, a meeting uh, last week, National Church of England meeting, looking at funding youth ministry training and children's ministry training uh, from the Church of England centrally. Um, and they were quoting Youthscape research about the types of, the types of training um, that is uh, working for people, not working for people, whether you want accredited, unaccredited. So your voice is already being heard. And this was the ministry division, which is what we like to call the Ministry of Magic, which is going to be, it's the, it's the central organisation for overseeing all the ministry in the Church of England. So you, you, should, you should be aware that you're kind of already creating some bubbles. Um, and so I, I, when I, I realised it was time to move on from CYM, that organisation needed to shift. Um, and I thought the best way for making it shift was for me to shift <laughs> and try and enable that to happen. And it's variously happening, um, although not as well as I would have liked. Uh, I thought then about what I was going to do next. And, and my current role isn't in youth ministry. Um, it's, uh, it's in, uh, as I said, learning and leadership for the Diocese of Southwark. I, I, my, my job involves three things, really. The first is um, I participate in training and development of clergy, um, from our new curates through to our senior management, uh, senior leadership clergy, uh, focusing on, uh, on adaptive change, change management, but also um, on resilience. We, we recognise the ministry is a really tough place to be, and so part of what we do in our department is try and resource and develop our clergy. So I'm actively involved in that, although my, uh, my boss takes the lead on that. Um, I'm responsible for uh, developing uh, uh, lay leadership and, and lay ministry within Southwark. So we've got, well I say responsible, I coordinate a lot of the work on that. Um, so at the moment we've got very narrow uh, views of what lay ministry is and that's expanding. So we're looking to develop evangelists, we're looking to develop uh, children and youth work, we're looking to develop um, catechists, and so I'm kind of helping coordinate that. And then around that as well, uh, there's a general uh, kind of need to resource and develop discipleship. So part of the developing of lay leaders is about what type of clergy and lay leaders do we need to train and develop who can then enable their communities to be places where uh, disciples are being formed and made and uh, who are engaging in transformation in their workplaces, in their communities and as part of their churches. So that's what we're doing. Great. Uh, so what we're going to do uh, in a minute is we're going to talk about the book specifically yep. and what I'd love you to do if you were, uh, were able is just to sort of communicate some of the challenge that you feel the book offers to us specifically as Leadscape. So what, um, you know, what is Faith Generation specifically saying to us? Uh, and then at the end, there'd be time for a couple of people had questions for Nick. That would be great at the end. Um, but before that, uh, my, my only other question really is, um, you say you've been involved in, in youth ministry a long time and you, you talk about change in the, in the training thing. How would you characterise the, the broadly the change we've seen in youth ministry in the last 10 years? How has the game changed? There's a well-documented crisis narrative. Mm -hmm. Do you buy into that? Or is something different happening? But but definitely we're in a different place where we're in 1991. So so what? How do you characterise the change you've seen over your time in youth ministry? I, I kind of buy into the crisis narrative a little bit, but um, I'll add some caveats on that. Um, I actually talk about this in the in the book. See what I did there? Um, <laughs> the, I, I understand it as this, and I understand there being three shifts. So when I started in 91, we were at the cusp of the of, of the the first kind of major shift in terms of our approach to youth ministry. Youth, youth ministry, as we do it, is relatively young. It's, it's really 1950s um, kind of models that we're working with, partly because of the way in which the shift to youth work nationally happened after the war with the creation of the youth service, So, and partly because of the kind of way in which um, uh, the, the teenager arrived in 1950. So you do all that kind of sociological stuff. There's a longer history of youth work that goes before that, but the model where we're, we're really working with is 1950s onwards. And by, 90, by 91, 
there was clear recognition that the first issue was what you could call institutional drift. People, people knew that young people were drifting away from the institution of the church. There was big social changes happening, um, and the church was no longer being seen as, 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 a, as a kind of vi viable and reliable institution for young people to engage in. So a lot of the youth work that went on was actually about securing uh, a kind of youth culture within the church. So the lives and values of the 1950s, interdenominational youth work between Methodists, Anglicans, and Baptists, all that energy was about trying to reinvigorate the institution um, to, to, to be attractive to young people. At the same time, you had people like Frontier Youth Trust um, who were saying there's a whole spectrum of young people who are being disconnected from the church, um, particularly urban, uh, but I think if the work had been done, we would have found rural as well. Uh, young people who were just um, uh, disassociated from religion, their parents were the first generations themselves disassociated with religion. So this big institutional drift was happening. Um, and our youth ministry trajectories kind of uh, were in that frame. Um, and so the phrase that was around in the early 90s was reaching and keeping young people. That the, that the mode was we had to do things uh, to reach and keep young people, we had to re-engage as an institution differently to get to get to those young people. So in the 70s, we started doing schools work because that's where young people were. We had to connect to them. Churches started doing uh, youth events, youth activities. Um, there was uh, youth councils being formed, institutions. There's a whole range of activity. It didn't work. I mean, it worked for some young people, but it didn't stop the general drift. Um, and so we've got a real kind of thread of activity, which is around institutional connection. Um, for young people. And that's important to do, but it didn't solve the problem. What I was saying before about what are the problems, what are the solutions. Um, it's only part, of the, part of, the, of the issue. So then you kind of think about, well, what else was happening or has happened in this time? And the other shift that I would say we're kind of identifying and working with is what you would call spiritual but not religious. So we recognise there's an institutional disconnection, but we also are coming to see that the place of religion has changed in contemporary society. And the idea that people might define themselves as being spiritual but not religious kind of summarises that. So what we're then into is trying to engage with young people which somehow um, explores their own sense of spirituality. Um, so we might be doing stuff in schools. And actually LCET was, was, was ahead of the curve in your kind of trajectory because you were doing some stuff around that spiritual, direct, spiritual connectivity which was uh, quite innovative but also distinctly Christian. Whereas other places went into a more open spirituality, uh, the kind of formative stuff I was talking about earlier. So you had, um, connected to that, I think you had things like uh, youth worship, both the kind of uh, the Soul Survivor brand, but also the kind of alternative worship, um, uh, fresh expressions type stuff. And what that was really saying is that something has shifted for people's spirituality that the mainstream religion is not connecting into. So we started to try and address that, but it still didn't, and still hasn't, kind of given us an effective kind of solution. Um, and the third thing that we've begun to realise a little bit more uh, clearly um, is that this shift is, is huge. Um, and when you look at the things that came out from the States with um, uh, moral therapeutic deism, which was research by Christian Smith that Kendra Greasy Dean picked up on, which she may bring at the conference next year in terms of where that's gone for her with, with Almost Christian, faith itself has shifted for young people. Um, so you've got these three shifts. You've got an institutional disaffiliation, you've got the changing approaches to spirituality in our culture, but you've also got faith itself becoming untethered from some of the historical aspects of Christianity. So kids growing up in the church, but not really getting it. Um, so I buy into the crisis narrative because that seems to me to be a full circle. The church as an institution can't connect. If we don't understand how the gospel relates to the spirituality of our current age, and if we're not discipling young people themselves to be generational Christians who can impact that, then we've got a lot of work to do. Um, and so faith generation kind of puts, goes into that space, at least I hope it does. Mm. Um, and we, uh, I looked at um, two groups um, of young people, backed up by some kind of wider survey research. And I looked at a group of kids who grew up in the church in their youth ministry, um, a group of kids who'd become Christians through a drop-in project, probably not unlike what works in the basement here. Um, and I spent three years with them. Um, I wrote letters to their parents and everything, so they weren't freaked out by that, wasn't it? 
Um, and so ethnographic research, the kind of stuff that Phoebe's um, exploring. Um, and I, I, I really had one question, which was, what difference does youth ministry make? What, what, what difference does participating in youth ministry make to your faith? Um, and so the book really tells that story of how, for young people, being part of these projects can um, be transformative. I didn't use that language at the, at the time. Um, and the reason why I call it faith generation is because what I, what I began to understand, certainly for myself, was that the model I was working with at the time was a faith development model, um, which was developed in the 1950s and 60s largely, which had at its heart um, the sense that um, if you provide the right conditions, faith will, will, will blossom. Um, it's not inevitable, but there was something about the fact that the word itself makes it feel inevitable. Faith development, it, it's going to develop. Faith will, and it, but it doesn't. Um, and the two groups of young people I was working with um, had two very different sets of needs. But effectively, the, one of the key needs was it was all tied up with their sense of identity. For Christian kids, it was the, it was the feeling that uh, they were only a Christian because they'd been born into a Christian family. Uh, no one else was a Christian in their school. Uh, they were embarrassed to talk about their faith with their friends. There was a real sense of what you call, what's called defended sense of identity. And what I found that was the youth work that was happening that was working well for those young people was it was enabling their sense of identity to be secured and to develop. Um, and for the young people who'd become Christians through the drop-in project, what was happening there was that they were going into a place that had um, a clear set of Christian distinctions. It was a Christian community. Uh, the kids knew it was a Christian community. The conversations were with people who were, were, were open about that. Um, and actually, in that environment, they could process and talk about their identity struggles. And the narrative of faith, and as well as the practices and, 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 and connection with God, enabled them to address their, their issues of identity and develop a faith identity for, for themselves. So the book really just kind of traces what, what, is a, what does faith as identity mm. look like. And who did you, so who did you write this for? So why, because is this the first book you've written? Mm -hmm. um, so, so, so who is the, who's the book for? Because you clearly, you know, you could have written books years ago, yeah. but you, you didn't. I mean, you were doing a PhD for most of the last yeah. 20 years. <laughs> I mean, the book, the, the book, the, the book is, for, is for engaged leaders. So it's people who want to affect change. It, it's not very practical. <laughs> which was one of the things my publisher was like, let's put more practical points in. I, I, and, and I'm a theorist, really, so I kind of, that's, what, that's what I do. Um, but it's for, it's, it's for you, uh, it's, for, it's for clergy, it's for anybody who wants to wrestle with the problem of what do we do with, 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 uh, with our young people. I do provide a model in it, and the model kind of came after the PhD. When I finished my PhD, I was sick of it, and I put it in a drawer, and just kind of you know, didn't want to see it again. Um, but then uh, the Church of England uh, produced a report which was uh, from, called From Anecdote to Evidence, um, 2012, I think, and I, and I read that report, and one of the things that they identified in that report, uh, some shocking statistics, uh, the first was that over 50% of churches have less than five uh, young people, children under 16. 50%, it was, it was Anglican, but 50% of Anglican churches have less than five young people, which was shocking, and I actually thought, to me, you should have caused havoc in the churches, and said, it doesn't, it's, it's, it's we, I don't think anyone can decide on that. Um, but the, the other thing that they found was that they found that in their constellation of eight factors for growth, uh, children and young people's work was one of their factors for growth. Mm. Uh, they were very cautious about uh, what's called causality. So is it a correlation? Are churches that are growing, um, do they just happen to have growing children and youth work because they're growing? Or is children and youth work a cause of growth? And they were very uh, cautious about that. And I thought, actually, no, I think I want to argue that putting children and youth work at the heart of a church's uh, life is a cause for growth. Mm. So that's what the book addresses it. It mm. says, mm. if there are many places you can start, and I agree that all of those factors are important, but actually there are some good reasons to think that focusing on children and young people will enable and cause church growth. Mm. So that's why it's kind of pitched into that space, really. Um, because what it says is, is it addresses those, those institutional connections um, 
that, that we're kind of losing out on. But it, but it also affirms that this, our youth ministry is always a communal activity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little, it's a little bit. It, so the fullest stuff that came out, um, growing younger, is it growing younger? Mm-hmm. Like that. Mm-hmm. There's some crosses over with that, but apart from that, it, it tries to get to the heart of what's actually needed, what practices of faith young people need to engage in to, to cause faith generation. So, so I, I gave you a heads up about this question, but um, uh, we're obviously not in that uh, 50%. You know, we're in a very different space, very engaged, yeah. very passionate about changing these statistics. So what, what is the challenge, the message of the book to us as Youthscape, do you think? Well, two things. I think, um, I think there are two styles of, of, two styles of youth work, as I said, in chapel, and they've, they've, they've diverged. Um, I would think that because my supervisor was Pete Ward, mm-hmm. who kind of basically invented that model of there be two forms of youth ministry, inside out and outside in. But, but actually, my research with young people confirmed it to me that, that Christian young people, kids who grow up in church, have a particular set of pastoral missional needs. Um, and it's pastoral mission. Mm-hmm. It's not pastoral work. Uh, it's, it's, it's pastoral mission. And all of those young people that grow up in churches, churches need to find ways of finding faith themselves. And, and youth ministry has to provide that, has to provide that. And so what I talk about in the book are models and ways of, of understanding why that is needed and how you can go about it. So I'd say for those of you working with churches, it gives some clear ways of thinking, how do we enable this church to, to engage in authentic pastoral mission to these young people? What do they need? What are the kinds of practices? And I talk about three things that's important in faith generation, what I call choice, sense, and use. Choices that everybody has to choose to believe uh, today. It has to be a choice. Um, and churches that empower that choice and enable young people to walk through that choice authentically, that's the root of discipleship for young people. They have, we, we have to recognise that, I mean, I've got two kids, an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old, um, and I need to know as a, as a parent, I know that now is the window that, that choice becomes important. And it becomes important because they're moving out of this zone where, as a family, it's all they've ever known. And now that schools where you know they are one or two Christians in their class, um, they begin to see that yes, sorry kids, but your family is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and they begin, and we're still my wife's a vicar, so we're kind of you know it's, they're, they're vicar's kids as well. Um, choice is coming to them, um, and what you have to do is you have to empower that choice, and you have to give that choice authenticity. Yeah. Um, and we have the tools to do that. Um, but it's a deep choice. Um, someone called Duncan McLaren, who wrote a book called Mission Implausible, talks about it as being uh, an implausible choice. The choice to believe in secular culture is, is unbelievable, literally unbelievable, because nothing supports it. No institutions support it. Um, so how do you get to that? How do you get to that? Well, you get to that choice by recognising that what the other aspects of what young people need is this idea of sense and use. So how do you enable young people to sense God and make sense of God? And what youth ministry has done brilliantly uh, for a long time, and I don't think we knew we were working this out, is that we have programmes that are, <coughs> are shaped around that purpose. So what we try and provide is sense of God. We try to provide and enable experiences in worship, uh, in personal practices, where young people can sense and experience God's presence. Um, and we do that through a lot of intersen- inter- in, in, you know, multi-sensory prayer, uh, different aspects of worship. Um, we do that. We provide experiences. Because of that shift, a spirituality, not religion shift, we've, we've kind of got that a little bit. Um, so we've made connections, but then we've also recognised that the spirituality entrance points are not standing and singing. You know, I mean, they are still survival, but and those kind of events, but it's actually what you're creating in that environment is something that, that provides a different distinctive than you get in, the, in, in church. So we need to provide that, that, that sense of God. But also we need to enable spaces where young people can make sense of God. And so you think about all the work that we do in our youth work, youth ministry programmes, where we're looking at the Bible, where we're looking at contemporary issues, where we're looking at ethical questions, 
we, we're creating a theological school for young people to really press into some of those, those issues. We do way better than regular church, way better than regular church. So do I believe in the crisis? I do, but I also believe in the capacity. So if we can unlock that capacity and, 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 and give the confidence to our volunteers, the other great report that you did, which the Losing Heart report, if we can, if we can actually engage with those people and give them the confidence to create those spaces, we can begin to see the Titanic shift a little bit. But the third area is use. And so what we also need to do is it's not just sense of making sense, it's actually what use is faith? That sounds like an awfully pragmatic question. Um, and, and one of the interesting things about this is that this is at the heart of the issue with moral therapeutic deism. Um, because what we've done in the church is we haven't addressed authentically the what use is faith question. And so we've drifted into allowing faith to be co-opted by our kind of cultural spirituality. So it's moral, it's all about being a good person, it's therapeutic, it's all about me and making me happy or making me feel well. Mm. And it's deism, which means that God is there, I acknowledge that, but really God's not acting on my life at all. Mm. You know, kind of that, that's what moral therapeutic deism means. And, mm. and, our, and our faith is not too dissimilar for that, even though that work was done in the States. Mm. <coughs> and it's partly because that's a useful faith to have in a secular age. Because it, it gives you what you need, because you don't need anything else, effectively, until, unless you hit a crisis point. Can I, can I just jump in on that? Yeah. Because so, that, what that makes me think of immediately is the hashtag praying phenomenon. Yep. So you know that sort of you see young people on social media, uh, I believe Instagram is the one they use, uh, Instagramming, you know, hashtag praying about uh, a terrorist attack or, or a celebrity dying or that sort of thing. Yep. And I think our natural inclination is to blow on that and say, yes, this is great, Christian. Look, praying is trending. Yeah. Uh, is actually you saying that's, we're just adding to the problem actually, we're just adding fuel to the, to the wrong thing. Yeah, yes and no. So I think that there's a sense in which um, that's a new phenomenon which for some reason with Fabrice Lumumba, mm, mm. I mean it was there before, but to my mind that clicked something. Mm. Well it's because it seemed to work. Because it seemed to work, and he's a Christian, you know, and, and it did work. But it, for me, now there are other things, I mean that might be too simplistic, but, it, but it's new, there's something about that. So when I, and it's almost jaded in some respects, you see hashtag, pray, you know, that's partly overload of what's happening in the world. But it's this issue of formative and transformative. So in that concept of spirituality, which I, I, I draw on from uh, Faith of Generation Y, the formative, Spirituality is is all is is it's imminent. It's to do with the here and now, uh, and it's backed up by um, a much bigger book. Actually, the book that Andrew Root, the American Youth Ministry uh, theologian, is bringing out in September. Um, I forgot what it's called: Faith Formation in the Secular Age. Um, it, that addresses this a little bit more. But in a secular age, every, tr the notion of transcendence, the notion that there is something other than this material world, is flattened. We we, we lose it. We don't have it. Um, we have echoes of it. We look for it, we sense it in fleeting moments. That's, that's the, the, the theory of, of the secular age. And we all live in that, whether we're Christians or non-Christians. Which is why moral therapeutic deism flattens it. We have a deism, we don't know a God who acts. We find it really hard to imagine where God is at work. Um, but the thing about the hashtag, you know, pray for, is it's located in, it, it doesn't go to the transcendent. It doesn't actually, you know, it's actually praying to God. It's my big problem with prayer space in schools, people, um, is that, you know, just to be controversial, who are you praying to, what are you praying? I'm not surprised that young people, now I've argued this with them, um, and, and I, they'll have some good answers on that. But it's, it's flattened. So do you nurture that? I think you do nurture that. But the question is, is well, what, what are you looking to happen? So I think there's a sense in which it's, it's about collectivity, it's about shared experience, it's about bringing people together. Prayer works for that well. The challenge is, where, when does prayer become the transcendent mm -hmm. to God, for God to act? Yes. And, and that for me is that, and that for, that for me in terms of with our, with our work with, with, with Christian young people it, it is paramount in terms of that use, that, that use, that use is, is that faith is not just something that you use to secure your identity. Faith, faith is something that you, you, you do use for that, and I think that's allowed and okay. 
But the flip side is, is that you are to be used by God. Mm. So use is both what use is faith to me, but also what use are you to God's kingdom. So you kind of flip the use question around and you say, yes, of course you need to secure your, your sense of self. That's fine. Um, and it's fine to do the bedroom prayers about exams and all that. Actually, you want that spirituality to be at the heart of young people's lives. But you've got to then start asking the questions about where is God active? Where is God's spirit active? Where is God's kingdom being built? And where are you going to join in with that? So, so for Christian young people, I think you've got to, got to frame that. For, for, for those who, who, are just, who are not brought up in the faith, I think this is more relevant to the hashtag pray for question. It's how do you, how do you, how do you work to enable people to see that there is this other dimension, this transcendent dimension? And I think that is very, very hard. Um, but I think from the work I did with the, uh, with the young people who became Christians through the drop-in, I think what you do is you have to enable people to engage with forms of authentic Christian practice where you, you are a little bit bolder at the aspects of prayer and we are a little bit more um, responsive to talking about, did we see God work? Um, you know, how is God working? Um, we actually, that sense of the, of, of the activity of God um, needs to be the topic of conversation. Mm -hmm. And we can do that without any reference to conversion, without any reference to, and I don't think it'll be a problem. But what, what you're doing there is you're, you're helping those young people with their sense questions. Um, you, but you're doing it from a framework which says, um, we don't believe in a moral therapeutic deism. You know, we believe in a, a, a kind of, I haven't worked out three acronyms, I could have done, I would have done, but we, we, we kind of work with a, with a faith that is, that is actually about transformation and, and, and active and involved God. And that's where I think we've got to, with our non-Christian young people, um, that we're working with. Um, the questions are still the same. It's still choice, sense, and use, but their vantage points coming from a very different set of dimensions. And sometimes I think what we've done is we've mistaken for both those groups of young people really how that plays out. And so for a lot of our Christian kids, we've neglected to really give some of the hard questions and good answers about what does faith mean genuinely. And for the, the drop-in type projects we're working with, I think we've avoided some of the questions of transcendence. You know, so things like being cautious, just taking the issue of self-harm, for instance, um, one of the projects I was involved with, um, let's talk about self-harm, but it was, it was kids at risk, and they're at risk behaviour, with sometimes self-harm, but sometimes an awful lot of crime, so we call it the Violence Intervention Project. And we did some theological reflection about that, and the question I, I asked to this group was they had some really good models of intervention with these young people. They were really good models of, 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 of intervention. Um, but the question was, with these therapeutic models of family systems therapy and uh, counselling work, my question to them was, where is the agency of the Holy Spirit? Answer that question for me, and I can see how this project is Christian mission. And it was, it's, and I think that's, those are the kind of key questions. Um, and once you start thinking about that, um, it, it, those practical theological questions can ripple across all of these different work, areas of work that we're doing. The question is still the same, choice, sense, and use, but we have to, we have to locate divine activity. Um, and that's where I think for, for, for Youthscape, supporting the churches, um, but then all of the important work you're doing in all of these other areas, it's, it, it's the theological reflection on that work mm. um, and the listening to young people and the dialogue about that that I think is, 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 is required and going to be helpful. Wow, thank you so much, Nick. Amazing. Um, the good news is... Hang on. Is it all right if we record this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's The fine. good news is that we've recorded this. <laughs> and so, uh, so we will share that also. Is it all right if we put this on the podcast? It'll also be on the podcast. <laughs> uh, so that's also good news. The Yusuke Podcast! 
I just realised that I giggle quite a lot and you can hear me giggling through that interview. It's so embarrassing, isn't it? I need, I need to just not be laughing quite so much about stuff, I think. Don't ever change, Rachel. Thank you. You are I loved lo- and oh, the way thank you, you. I love, I love Nick and I just love the prophetic voice and the, the academic voice that he brings. And, and one of these key things that he says is, that he believes in the crisis narrative. I mean, for goodness sake, who who can't believe in it? We realise that things are difficult, but he really believes in the capacity that we can get involved with and power the change. And I just, I really, really love that because we do want to be people that on our watch begin to tell a different story about how we mm-hmm. help young people find faith. The other challenge, Martin, and I, I, when I heard him do this interview initially, I really took it seriously and took it away. Like, what does a deep choice look like for young people and how do we help them make sense of God and make sense of the world and, and engage with a faith that is of use? That mm. I've never thought of that mm. before. That mm. it's, it's a faith that is of use in their own life and also in the 21st century. And yeah. we've got to bust out of some of these old models and ways of thinking to really help young people see where faith connects with all the issues of 21st century yeah. and, and all the ancient ones as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. We've, we've done a bit of research around that. Our, our research team, led by the intrepid... Doctor Phoebe, she's not doctor yet. She will be. She will be. She will be. But Phoebe, be Phoebe Hill, just just Phoebe Hill at the moment. Uh, she's done a bit of research around uh, young people and faith mm. exploration. It's going to be published soon. Uh, and uh, one of the interesting things they found in their conversations was was this around this area of the usefulness, the yes. use, yeah. utility of faith. So you talk to a Muslim young person, and they have uh, they have a kind of a an outfit that they wear mm-hmm. they have uh, at times of the day at which they pray um, they have certain kind of artifacts and, and, and different kind of religious symbols and, and words and there's all this stuff uh, around being a, uh, a Muslim which is kind of physical and tangible mm. and public and people mm. see it people see you go and pray people see you go to mosque all that sort of thing um, with Christianity, it's all kind of internalized and private, mm. and especially in the sort of low church where we spend mm. our time, mm. um, you know, it's not about artifacts and icons and uh, and dress and uh, bells and smells mm. and all those mm. th- sorts of things. Uh, it's all private and internalized. And actually, is that is that significant? Is mm. that a significant thing? Because um, if young people want to feel that faith is useful, mm-hmm. it needs to feel tangible. It needs to feel practical. It needs Evident, to feel like it has public. evidence. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I, a while ago, I was at a, a, a Christian event, and three girls at that event the night before had become Christians mm. um, from a no Christian background at all. They'd gone out in the morning, and all of them had got a huge cross tattooed on their inner arm. Wow. But yeah, which is really interesting. And their youth were like. I'm taking them home with these big tattoos. And I sat down with them and I was like, girls, what? T- talk to me. What is that about? And for them, they wanted to turn this internal decision into a very visible thing. Now, I I think our role then is to help them really live that, isn't it? Because it's now on their arm. Mm. So now suddenly everybody is going to be sadly judging them against that. Because I think mm. that's one of the one of the challenges, isn't it, is... When you, when you sort of come out as Christian, is that then people around you, they use this fairly archaic moral framework to begin to judge you against, mm-hmm. in, a, in a weird sense. It is like so in, in odds against what you've just discovered, like this incredible dynamic faith that means mm-hmm. you can live limitless, and then suddenly people around you are going, oh, well, that mm-hmm. means you're not doing this, this, and this. So the icons of Christianity is that I don't smoke, I don't swear, I don't have a tattoo, or maybe I do have a tattoo, or I don't sleep around. It becomes the negatives rather mm-hmm. than... 
this is what it looks like positively. I'm choosing to tell the story mm. of what it means to be a Christian. So I, I loved it the girls did that. Do, they you, were choosing do you think to that's what that we should start getting our young people to do? Get no, because that, that, no, and I think anything that where we are saying, right, now what oh. you need to do is this, is oh. completely legalistic and completely against what this is about. But I think helping young people find the way to control the narrative mm. of being a Christian in their environment is really exciting. And if that is a tattoo or if that is launching a YouTube site where they're talking about some kind of justice issue but actually they get to frame yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a Christian this is the use it plays I think that's powerful awesome. so exciting awesome. uh, if we do the New York City uh, episode of uh, we're already there the Youthscape podcast we I've do packed that. my bag in shall, that the three of us, shall we all get a small tattoo <laughs> let's <laughs> all get Len Kegler's face on our ankle yeah? <laughs> how about that oh Len Bless you. You're probably like heading your hands now. Like what I hope not. He's driving. He's driving. Oh, yeah, Don't driving. be heading your hands. Don't be heading your hands. He's driving. Right. Uh, we've just got to do the game. We have the game. Are we? Are we going to change? I mean, I, I am. I'm. I have attention deficit disorder. So I'm You're like. Bored of the game. Can we do different games at some point? What? what could we do? What? Let's get some young people. This isn't a planning meeting. Here. This is okay, a podcast. Sorry, it's a podcast. Right. Sorry. Let's play the game. Word. 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 Skeng is today's word. What? What? What is today's word? Skeng. Ske- like skein? Like skin? Skeng, like S-K-E-N-G. So it's S-K-E-N-G. Yeah, skeng. Skeng. I have no idea. Oh, it's to do with drugs and violence and dating somebody and having new trainers. Skeng. <laughs> I think it's something like that. You are getting bored of this game, aren't you? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, so if like... you're enthusiastic, how do you expect the listeners to commit to it? <laughs> it's something to do with youth culture. I don't know. Skeng. Right, what is it, Martin? Well, there's, there's some Martin. funny words like that, aren't there? That, 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 like hench <laughs> and... Peng. Is Peng okay? Are we allowed to say Oh, I don't know. Peng? Good grief. I don't know if Peng might be a rude oh my word, but goodness. They, they do say Peng. I've, yeah, they do say it, whether it's allowed or not. I'm sorry if that's offensive to anyone. Um, so it's one of those words, yes. I think. It's a, a ludicrous word. And it, they should all go feels, back to school, frankly, these, these Yeah, teenagers. it feels borderline quite offensive, doesn't you think? it? You're I think yeah, I think it's going to be. But I, mean, I don't think Helen and Matt would have chosen that. But no, I think it's good. I think it's good. Word. Okay, you think, think it's good? I think it's uh, someone being skeng is like uh, they're really, they're really cool. Cool. They're really, they're cool. really cool. Okay, well, I'm going to agree with Martin, and we're both going to say we really, they're really cool. The word skeng means gun. Um, Stormzy uses this word in one of his songs, "Gunshot Michael, Mr. Skeng." So when I said about drugs and violence, I was actually quite close to you the were. truth. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's quite... I, d- I don't understand how you get there. No. You know, I'm a student of the English language, <laughs> and, and I don't understand how the word gun becomes the word skin. I don't think we need to worry so about I, that. I, I, I need a meeting with this Mr. Stormzy fellow. Yes. And I need to I have an out with him. You have a conversation with If him. you're listening, then I want a meeting. I want and a, I'd like to talk I'd about like to, silly I'd words. I'd like to interview George the Poet as well. We need to get him on George, this. George the Pirate. Poet! Oh, George, George the poet. poet! Do you know what? I, <laughs> is, he a, is he a rapper? Through this half an hour of you and me like wobbling on a conversation, it has slowly entered my consciousness that, Dr. Len, I do know you. 
I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. Because he is one of our speakers at the National Youth Ministry Weekend. He is. It's like, yeah. Dr. Len, I'm really excited. I'm assigned to you to care for you and make yeah. sure that you feel very loved and known by us. But but I'm so excited because in November, which is this term, this term, well done, this term. we have got the only national gathering of youth workers and youth ministers in yeah. the UK. We've got That's people right. coming from all across Europe, take yeah. part. People are yeah. booking up. So exciting. I've got a few places left, so make sure you get on and book in. Book your team in. It's going to be such an exciting time. Yeah. 10th to 12th of November. Anything that you want to hot off the press, share with our beloved listeners. Well, let me tell you what Dr. Len Kendler is going to be doing. Yes, please do. So, uh, <laughs> Professor Doctor. Uh, he uh, is going to be speaking in our seminar stream, and he's going to be part of the stream which tells you how to set up youth work from scratch. Awesome. So if you want to just get yes. a new project off the ground, if you're a, uh, a passionate first-time youth leader, yeah. and you're like, do you know what, we need to reach young people, uh, we're going to start doing this. There'll be a stream for you, and Dr. Len will be on that stream. Uh, but he's also going to be part of a, a kind of pastoral care and coaching uh, stream as well. So he's going to be uh, available, as are a number of others, for one-to-one meetings to help you uh, talk about some of the issues that you're facing in your youth work. And he is, I mean, you know, just to make you feel even worse, worse. he is a a prolific author. He really did write the book on volunteering and youth ministry. Uh, So he's a huge, uh, hugely um, popular author in the States particularly. And a lovely man. Yes, I lovely like him man. Very much and personally. I'm going to go away and find that book on yeah. volunteering because it will be in our shelf downstairs. He's so unlikely to pay for you to go to New York. I know. Off the basis I, I, I feel like I'm trying to crawl it back in. Sorry. But I've got some nice friends in um, Skegness, so I might go there instead. Anyway, right, thus ended today's podcast. Enjoy your first week back into all sorts of crazy stuff, and we will speak to you next week. The Youthscape podcast is always free, but if you'd like to support us, please go to patreon.com forward slash youthscape. Is it all right if we record this? <laughs> <laughs>